Um, it is on page six of the bulletin. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Good morning to you. It's not every morning that I get an opportunity to come up here and... and, uh, allow the Lord to use me to bring his word. So it's such an honor each time I come up here and be with you in this way. Uh, today we will be looking, continuing to look at the one another's of the Bible in our one another series. You know, we've been looking at how we can spur one another on and also how we can sing to one another. That was last week. And today we will look at forgiving one another from Colossians 3. But you know, in order to continue to look at God's word, we need his power. We need his grace. So let's pray. Holy Father, you have given a wretch like me grace upon grace. Lord, we ask that you will come now and bring a new word, a fresh word, a gospel-centered word, Father to speak to the hearts of our people, that we may be assured, Holy Father, of your love for us. So God, be with me, your humble servant. Be with us, your humble people, that we may hear and be refreshed and believe in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, listening to that song, you know, and entering into uh, a topic like forgiveness, it's like the two just come together very well as we consider the history of our country and all that people had to face in terms of moving towards forgiveness and reconciliation, not just within our country, within the culture, but especially within the church. And so it is something that God has called us to and equipped us for. And so it was a great delight to see these different faces up here proclaiming the goodness of God and what he's done, the struggle of a people, a struggle of you and me, and how he will continue to instill us with hope as we move forward. I just wanted to say that. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. Have you ever had the experience of hitting a patch of ice on the road? It could, it could be fun, but the road is not forgiving at times. For a moment, you notice that you're not gaining traction and your car becomes out of control. This is what my experience was when I was driving my kids to school one morning. We were living in St. Louis at the time. And so we have experienced this new wintry mix, as they call it. Sleet, rain, snow, freezing rain, a mess. That morning around 7.55, I drove through a school zone and hit a patch of ice on the road. It was more than a patch. My entire lane was frozen over, y'all. 
So as I saw a father and his daughter walking across the road there, I did what anyone would have done. I hit the brakes. Lo and behold, the car began to slide towards them. They didn't seem to notice how I was sliding towards them and how I was freaking out inside. You know, as we come to consider forgiveness, forgiving one another, that's what it's like, isn't it? That's what it's like to struggle with unforgiveness. We're out of control and we're headed for destruction. We don't know it. The subtleness kicks in. So if unforgiveness really is this result of a heart that has been iced over, over, impenetrable, and headed for conflict after conflict in relationships. With unforgiveness, your vision becomes blurred, which makes it difficult to see how God desires to provide for you in relationships. It's easier than to begin to condemn and judge At the slightest incidence, you become agitated and annoyed. Respect is lost for the church at times, which is the beginning of slandering the church and the name of others. In this situation, it's difficult to experience the pleasures of Christ, the deep pleasures of knowing your Lord and Savior. And you look to lead and and seek out your own way. Your decisions are made in silence, and there's an inner world of conflict deep within your heart. Expectation of goodness is in your own trust at that point. The inflexibility to trust settles in, and you must remain in control, believing the strangest thing, that it is in your power, not God's power, that people will be changed, that people will be blessed. And that people will be happy. But you know, we need to take heart this morning. God sees you. God sees me for who we truly are. We can't fool God. God sees you, blood-bought one of Christ, as a son or daughter in need of realizing how much he loves you. And how much he's paid for your ransom, for your soul in Jesus. You need not pretend nor rest in your own ability. You need to look to your heavenly father. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So what can serve as the the ground and motivation for us to forgive one another when we have been deeply hurt by each other? Well, God brings us new comfort through the Apostle Paul with his words of assurance and hope to the church at Colossae. And this is it. Jesus forgives sins. As we see there in verse 13, we're encouraged to forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, one of the most delightful declarations that you and I will ever have in life is this, the declaration that our sins are forgiven. In Colossians 2.13, Paul makes it plain that we were once dead in our sins. No one is perfect. No one is righteous before God. Each person born from the first man who sinned to now is born into iniquity and sin and has a corrupt nature. Did you know that? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question is fitting from the Apostle Paul in Romans 
7, 24, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only God can make us alive with Christ and forgive us all our sins. Where there is a record of wrongs, a written code with its regulations that was against us, opposed to us, God took it away. How did he do this? God nailed it to the cross. Where there was once a power and authority to control us, Christ disarmed the power and authorities of this world. As scripture states, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by his cross. So you see, to forgive here in this context means to freely give, completely give. Christ freely, completely gave himself over to the Father, to the Father's will and full obedience in life and death on the Roman cross. This is what he did for us. He canceled our sin debt and set us free. The perfect son of God, sinless in all his ways, took on our sin on the cross. God transferred our guilt, our record, our brokenness onto Christ on the cross. God transferred Christ's innocence, Christ's stainless record, Christ's kindness to us. So we are called here to forgive as Christ has. Christ forgives based on what he has done and not on your record of merit. Therefore, we are to continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We are to forgive one another, forgive one another, forgive from a new identity that we see here within the text. Forgive from a new attitude that we have in Christ. Forgive from a new process that God empowers us to be on. Forgive from a new love. That is in Christ. So we need to forgive from this new identity. Paul knows that people need to be reminded of their true identity in God. What are are some of the marks of our identity that are written here? So we see that, you know, God chose you, dearly beloved. God possesses you. And, And we see here under this topic of the new identity that that. God loves you. He's your beloved. God chose you. It says there in verse 12, you're God's chosen ones. You know, I pray that you're encouraged by this declaration that God picked you to be sons and daughters of him. He picked you personally to be saved through grace. He chose you in eternity past before the world began. Of course, this should humble us to know that it is not anything good in us but the pleasure of his will and through his grace. How does this impact the way we forgive others? If we feel criticized by others that do not acknowledge their wrongdoing towards us, we have a heavenly father who has not discarded us. We can take heart in that, but lay his affection upon us. If you've been betrayed and the sadness and the pain lingers here today even, God has drawn you close to him. He will be your comfort. God will shed tears with you. The father has set his eyes upon you before the creation of the world. 
It is his will to make you a people chosen to be in this world. As it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that he may declare his praises, that he may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God chose you and God possesses you. He has set you apart to be holy for his special purpose in the world, for the praise of his glory. You belong to God. To be possessed is to be controlled by something or someone or something else. So in Colossians 2, 3, 2, we are encouraged to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. We were bought as a, with a price. We're not our own. You know, one morning in church, uh, when my son was four years old, you know, it, it was before church. He asked me for a treat. We were just there at the house. And, uh, you know, I thought, man, this is a moment to give him a good gift. So I gave him a bunch of sweets. May have been some muffins or something else, chocolate and sweet. I was like, well, you know, he'll work it off when he danced up front. You know, he'll, he'll be okay. <laughs> so the kids were released for Sunday school. And, and during the offering, I see Gio. Come up right next to me as I was sitting in the pew. And he just looks at me. And then he looks straight ahead, just standing there. And then he walks up to the steps. We were at Mount Rona at the time, but there were steps like this. He just walks up, and he just sits down. And he just stares straight at me, eyes glazed over. (laughs) You know, I wave. He didn't respond. He was possessed (laughs) with sugar. Friends, we know, you know, when you are possessed by God, you too would do some strange things (laughs) in the eyes of others, right? When we forgive, we must forgive as if we are indeed possessed by God. Maybe that is the strange thing. When the world says, don't, don't give them an inch, do not do it. That's when we come in, standing on our true identity standing on being chosen in God, standing as a holy people and beloved of God because he loves you. We're dearly loved. The demonstration of his love is through Christ. We know that. It secures us, and God proclaims this of us, that nothing can, be, can separate us from his love. As one writer put it, there's tremendous relief in knowing that, that he, his love to me is utterly realistic Based on every point, point of prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determ- determination to bless me for some unfathomable reason. He wants me as a friend and he desires to be my friend. And has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. There is heavenly, fatherly affection here in God's goodness towards you. He loves you and promises to never let you go. The Lord has given us confidence to forgive as his chosen, possess, and dearly loved sons and daughters. The challenge can be seeing ourselves in our new identity. While viewing others in the church at Grace Meridian Hill as the enemy. 
We can live like this in our minds with a suspicion, a suspicious eye towards other members, right? So we, so we must put on these lenses, you know, of our holy status. We must put the lens on so that we can see each other as holy in God, as dearly loved in him. Many of you may be asking the question now, how could a member chosen by God hurt me in the most ungodly of ways? It just, feel, it just doesn't feel right. That's a visceral reaction, and you want to strike back and give them a taste of what you're feeling. We, we know what that is like, right? The talk of forgiving them, it, it feels like a betrayal. Like, and it feels so unjust, as if no one's going to come to bat for us. Others of you may be thinking, it's, it's just too easy in the church for sin to go unnoticed and for real accountability to be had here. What can we do about it? These are questions that we should ask in our wrestlings with God, in our wrestlings with one another. They just come up. Give them air with somebody. Talk about these things. Journal about these things. And yes, you know, even I, even I, friends, I've dismissed you at times. And I've left you unprotected at times. But we, I'm hoping that we can face these challenges together inside of the church. Because you have just as much voice as I do to bring these things to the table so that we can discuss them openly. So that, it, it, so that we can forgive each other from our true identity. So we must trust in the Lord's leading to face one another. By the Spirit's help, we can face one another and share what the Father has for us being chosen by him, being possessed by him, and standing beloved by him. You know, all of these descriptions and titles that God has given us are of Christ, the one who dwells within us. And so they're our privilege to have, it's our privilege to be standing in him, seated with him. But God gives us more. So he encourages us here. Paul encourages us to forgive from this new standing, this new identity, and also from a new attitude. In verse 12, it says here, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, in verses 5 and 8, earlier in this chapter, Paul spent some time commanding the Colossians to put to death Therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature? Put to death the sexual immorality. Put to death the impurity. Put to death the lust. Put to death the evil desires and greed. All this is idolatry. And we must rid ourselves of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. He warns us that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It may not feel like it. It may feel great to have this power of holding on to unforgiveness towards somebody. But the wrath of God is coming, friends, because as we know about unforgiveness, as one writer said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison while you hope the other person dies. We used to walk in those ways. Now, Paul is encouraging us here, walk in the new way, 
in the new attitude. Now, in the new life that we have in Christ, we must wear more garments that are appropriate to our calling and our status. They are the clothe, we are to clothe ourselves with these graces and actions of God. To suffer with, to be compassionate, suffer with others. You know, as one scholar characterizes it, compassion is one, seeing the suffering of another person. It's feeling tender pity in, in response to the suffering. And it acts to alleviate that suffering when possible. That sense of tender pity must be distinguished from any self-righteous, condescending, air of superiority that looked down on the sufferer, but remains aloof and unengaged. Godly compassion, friends, feels the need of others and seeks to help. When your brother or sister is suffering in general or because of something that you have done, you know you have done it, you need to look at them. See them, see their need, and act to help them. Be, being present alone is huge, but acting to help them. And as you move towards them with compassionate hearts, don't forget kindness, the goodness of God. This is his generosity. Kindness is showing the mercy and grace of God. You know, things that we don't deserve and the opposite. God says here, in Luke 6, 35 through 36. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. This is a tall order, isn't it? It is very difficult to do. But Jesus promises here, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And some of us were there, right? Being the ungodly and the wicked. And God has shown us mercy. So it's not our natural tendency when we're encouraged to forgive. Instead, we may, we may say things like this, right? To push back on it. That's the last time I would do him or her a favor in our hearts, right? Secretly. Enough is enough. The relationship is over. Not going to be friends with that person any longer. No one would do that to me again with all the shame that comes down on you. After all I've done, this is the thanks that I get? That's another classic, right? Insular, opposed to showing God's mercy and grace through forgiving one another. So we have to be humble, move towards one another with the lowliness of mind. And this is something God has been teaching me, particularly these days. The last couple of weeks, God has been just bringing me low to say, Yancey, it's not your will to be done. It's not your way. Things are out of control around you. Give up, lay it down, pray to me, trust in me, listen to me. I will give you the creativity. I will give you the path of righteousness so that you can move towards people with the lowly of heart. You cannot change hearts, Yancey. You cannot. Humble yourself. All you have comes from me, my son, my daughter. Depend upon me as your Lord and Savior. It leads you to be a bit meek, right? 
that come towards others with gentleness. That's what he's saying. Move towards others with gentleness. This is the description of Jesus as well. Being gentle and humble in heart. And Paul describes himself among the Thessalonians as gentle among them. Gentle. Gentleness can be easily seen as a weakness, right? But it's the tenderness of God that draws us to himself. So in forgiving one another, we must move towards each other with this type of meekness. And also with patience. We can't forget about that patience. God calls us to slow down and to not be anxious. The ability to bear with people, you know, not to grow anger, angry and bitter and irritated and annoyed even when they are foolish and ungrateful or apparently hopeless. It is the ability, this, this type of patience is the ability to serenely take people as they are with all their faults and all their failings and with all the ways in which they're hurt and they're, they've wounded us and never stop caring for them, being patient, God's way, not our way. And, you know, the story that that sort of highlights this for me is about a young lady, you know, who was happy-go-lucky, filled with a lot of life. And, you know, she was she was really bullied and she was deeply hurt by some of her schoolmates. And she woke up in the hospital with torn ligaments, you know, just injured, you know. But one of the young men just felt so guilty about what they had done and how they had mistreated her. And he went to the authorities and he turned himself in. He told what happened. And of course, you know, he did the crime. And so he had to do some time. He was sentenced to prison. But over the course of time, Anna and her father, they befriended him. You know, they began to grow a relationship with him. He began to write them from prison. And and he became a believer through their interaction with him. Imagine how hard it would have been to forgive him. Easier to discard him and just go your way. But when he was newly released from prison years later, he caught up with her. He spent time with her. They eventually began to date. And then they got married. Then they had kids together. What a story of forgiveness. What a story of redemption. But you know, John is reminded every single day of what he did because the scars are there in her body. In your marriage right now, it's time for you to put on some compassion towards your spouse. You may have spent years of holding a grudge, deepening a root of bitterness because of an incident that occurred years ago. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, events like How to change your spouse would be great for you to go to, right? Because it would give you space to consider without your kids. Yeah, what? how are we doing? It would give you opportunity to hear from other folks who are married, you know, and and, and taking a peek in, like, how their relationship going? What do we need to talk about over here? We need to revisit the rough spots. You know, this is the opportunity that we need to move towards We need to put on kindness and humility in our parenting. You know, I've learned the hard way that controlling kids with threats, rules, and treats is like a short-term solution, right? They will yield 
for a moment, but it doesn't produce the long-term results. We need grace here, right? We need to forgive them for the little incidents that we, what they have done. You know, we're bigger and powerful than them, and so we need to come with this type of meekness and lowliness of heart towards them. Some may think that friendships in the church are the easiest relationships to navigate when they're really are not when it comes to forgiveness. At times, we are harshest and most impatient with those that pursue us as friends. It just becomes something that's strange to us. And we, it's just hard to believe, you want to be my friend? We're suspicious of that. But see, when you are friends at times, it's too easy to put your friendship on the shelf because of irreconcilable differences. You know, you don't have anybody else to answer to, so to speak. And so you can just slowly move into the background. As they say, out of sight, out of mind. But I want to challenge you today to go to your friend within the next couple of days. Seek them out and forgive with the strength of God. Make a decision that you're going to forgive them because Christ has forgiven you. There are things that we carry around in our hearts that are too heavy for us. And unforgiveness is one of those things. We have to make some decisions that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to move out in him no matter what happens. I'm not responsible for that person's heart, but God, you've called me to forgive. So go to your friends. Go to your spouse. You may not know how you hurt them particularly, but you see the sadness. Go and be with them. Sit with them. You may not know the words to say. But at least you can say, I'm here with you and I see you and I want to understand why you're hurting so bad. I want to understand how I hurt you. It may not be in your mind how you may have hurt them, but they feel it. And so you, it's, it's complex. So we have to sit together with this. We have to listen to one another. But see, you got to make that first step. You have to go. You have to go to your friend. But see, there are other times when, you know, someone has hurt you and that person doesn't have a clue. What will you do with that? Will you allow that just to sit there or will you come and wrestle with God? Ask him, why are you so annoyed? Why are you so upset? It might be a control thing or it might be a thing where you feel like you deserve something. And God is saying, no, take the lowly route. Humble yourself to me. I will care for you. That person doesn't know that they hurt you, but you are hurt, but I see you. Even then, if you need to tell somebody, talk to somebody about that. Just don't be alone. So we need to forgive from a new identity, forgive from a new attitude, and forgive from a new process. It says here in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You know, we're just going to get on each other's nerves sometimes, right? In a relational community. You know, we're just going to downright blame each other at times for things that we didn't do. We will have those grievances with each other. But we're called to bear with each other, to strive in this relational patience with each other. You know, Jesus is not caught off guard by our lack of communication with one another over forgiveness. You know, Husbands that can't seem to keep a promise. Church leaders who seem too busy for anyone. 
And maybe members that step on each other's toes once in a while, right? He's not caught off guard. He sees that we need to forgive. He sees that we need to mutually, relationally forgive one another. You know, on Saturday, my team won the game. Some of you may not know, I've coached a five- and six-year-old basketball team this season. So we we won yesterday. Uh, But they... Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. You know, week after week, you know, I've taken these five and six-year-olds through practice, and it's been a joy to watch how they've developed over time. It's hard to imagine, but their their process is it's sort of like a flower blooming. You know, their parents have been amazed by their improvement. You know, kids that couldn't shoot a basket now can shoot a basket, Right? And, and so they've grown over time, but it took a lot of practice. It, it took patience and stand with them and teaching them. You know, when it comes to the process of forgiveness, we are entrusting ourselves to the eternal coach who knows exactly what this church, Grace Meridian Hill, needs in order to grow and to blossom together. Out of our new identity, And our new attire, we need to practice forgiving one another. We need to do do this. You know, the first thing that we must do, you know, in our practical outworkings of forgiving one another, the first thing we need to do is pray. It's too complex of a thing for us just to move out without seeking the Lord. It said, since then you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, moving to his throne of grace, praying that he will help us, bringing your request to the Father, wrestling through the complexities of forgiving one another in prayer first. It's a vital step to allow the Lord to search us and to know our hearts. We have to go to prayer. You know, we just ended our 40 days of prayer, but we're going to continue praying, right? Because we need to seek to forgive. So we need God's power. The next thing we need to do is recall the hurt. How have you been hurt? We need to recall the injury in its various ways. People may not know you're hurting. But we need to recall that hurt and and, and look at the emotions behind it, which are indicators on the dashboard that something is going on. Something is amiss. Recall that hurt. And we need to, this might be a bit hurtful or challenging. We need to radically accept the pain. And this has been honest about being in a broken world. That we have pain. We want to medicate it for sure. We want to move away from it for sure. But accepting the pain just looks like being honest that you are in pain. That someone kicked you in the shins and it hurts. You may want to just say, ouch, Lord. It hurts. And it's hard for me to accept the pain. I want to be angry and defend myself. I want to be angry. And have a root of bitterness. I feel vindicated. 
but accept the pain because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So you need to yield. You need to hold on to forgiveness. You, you, you need to place yourself back as if you are in God and your new identity. You know, Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Be with him in forgiving other people. Yield to his process and his ways. You know, you did, I don't know if you caught it. Pray. Recall the hurt. Accept the pain. Yield. Pray. Pray and pray some more. These are just some practical suggestions here. It's not everything. But we have to be honest about our hearts. We have to offer forgiveness too. You know, I learned a lot through psychologist Dave Carter through this, who's kind of gives like a framework for whenever someone has wronged you and both of you guys know that you've wronged each other. Or You can go to one another and seek to forgive each other. And he gave some examples on what it looks like to forgive. You know, something like, say something like, I was wrong when I worked too much. And he even brought work home at night. I know this must have made you feel unimportant, rejected, and lonely. Will you forgive me? Another example, I was wrong when I promised that I would meet you at the coop yesterday, and I failed to do so. I know this must have made you feel just rejected, upset, and unimportant. Will you forgive me? But you see what this is doing here. Full stop. Taking ownership. Not casting blame. Not making excuses. And asking, will you forgive me? At that point, the person that you ask has an opportunity to respond. Number one, yes, I will forgive you. Number two, no, I cannot forgive you. Number three, not now. I cannot forgive you now. But I'm working on it. One and two of my favorite. Yes, I will forgive you. And I'm working on it. But the person who is at the no, I cannot forgive you. I think they need to go back and pray. That's right. Recall the hurt. Right. Acknowledge, accept the pain and yield unto God. Because we all are in this. We all is in this challenge of forgiving one another. And lastly, but not least, real quickly, forgiving from a new love. You know, Paul says here in verse 14, over all these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together, all together in perfect unity. Jesus is the new love. He's the new outer garment that you must put on each day to bind together his identity his attitude, and the process of forgiveness while we are bumping into each other. You know, I, I've learned this through my mom. Uh, one of my cousins, a quick story, wrecked her car. You know, he was staying with us, and uh, his mom promised to pay. She didn't pay, and my mom was left with the debt. Now, I was wondering, how will she navigate this? Because we had tons of folks stand with us when I was growing up. Relatives, friends of family, you name it. And, and every step of the way, someone betrayed her in some way. 
But you know what she did? Each time, she didn't stop to forgive them, to accept them, to draw them in over and over again. I'm wondering if that's what it looks like. To see the other person that you belong here, you are family, I'm going to see you through a new lens, you know, through your true position in Christ, through your true identity. I'm going to seek to forgive you. I'm going to seek to do good to you, even though you may hurt me. I'm not going to become cynical. I'm not going to shrink back, but I'm going to continue to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, help me to forgive them. Father, help me to continue to move towards them because Jesus is the chosen one. He's the holy and beloved of the Father. He's the one that God proclaimed that this is the son with whom I'm well pleased. And he proclaims this announcement over you too, brothers and sisters. So we must forgive. You know, as the father and daughter walk safely across the road from me, my car, I would say, miraculously stopped. I couldn't believe that the car would stop. God intervened. He heard my cry for help. The ice over road did not last. You know, God sends his word to melt the, the ice. And so he would do the same in your heart. He will melt the ice that's there. Where you are hard and impenetrable, he will melt those places so that you so that you may let the light of Christ come in. So that you may be on a cross with Christ. Saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So that you may be risen with Christ. Deepening your relationship with him and with one another. So that we can continue to practice forgiving. That would be a gut reaction. That we will move into the complexity of forgiving one another with a joyful heart. Only God can do this, friends. Let's taste and see that he's good. Let's trust in him in this. Let's move towards him in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, you are the merciful God. God, you give your grace to us. You know how to move on our hearts, Father, uh, to change us, to deepen our relationships with one another, that we may forgive all of the overflow of your forgiveness towards us. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Darkness fails his 
Thank you, Pastor Yancey, for that powerful word, that reminder. Um, I feel convicted, challenged. I'm sure you do, too. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you, which means, of course, for us to grow and practice this art, this call to forgive. It starts here, knowing that Christ has forgiven you. Uh, Do you know that Christ has forgiven you? And we want to invite you to this table, the Lord's Supper, as a way for you to be reminded deep in your heart that Christ indeed has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. 